WKWZ. Sayasin. It's Friday night. Curry way downtown. Bang! Bang! Oh, what a shot from Curry! From Sayo to NYC to across the country. Manning lobs it. Burris alone. Touchdown, New York! We've got all the latest and greatest in sports. This is Friday Night Lights here on WKWZ 88.5 SIAS. That's right, this is Friday Night Lights here on WKWZ 88.5 FM SIASIT. This is your Friday Night Sports Talk Show. I'm Ethan Ganey. I'm joined by Cole Nevins and Rob Raymond Fard. How are you guys doing tonight? Doing well. We got a packed show. So much to talk about today. Can't wait to get started. I'm doing well. Well, also, I'm excited for this show, and we're going to take you guys to the weekend. Yeah, I mean, tons of stuff going on in the sports world. And, I mean, there's going to be lots of heated discussions on this show, but let's start with something that shouldn't be as heated, the school sports. Let's first look at the girls' volleyball team, who had an amazing run in their season. They had a great season and went to counties for the first time in history of Syosset Girls Volleyball. They ended up losing to Massapequa, uh, I believe, 3-1. to one. Uh, An upsetting finish for them, but nonetheless, a great job by this girls' team to finally be the f- first one for Syosset to make it to counties. So, I want to move to hockey now, because that's... Uh, I guess I could say I'm kind of an expert <laughs> at this, given that I'm on the team. Uh, we currently sit at 5-0. and We play a game tonight against Garden City. This is going to be our first uh, real challenge of the season since Beth Page, which was our uh, second game of the season. And Garden City right now sits at 2-0, and and they were a good team last year. We expect them to be a challenge again tonight, and we actually play this game in Freeport. It's going to be interesting to see how this game pans out I mean I, I we actually don't so I, I I'm goalie and another kid named Cam is the other goalie he's a freshman we don't find out who starts until game time I think my coach genuinely bases it on warm-ups and who he thinks looks better at the time so uh, I can't attest to who's gonna start um, but it should be a fun game nonetheless Although it never played at Freeport Ice Ring, I have no clue how the ice is. Uh, each rink, similar to the NHL, each rink has different ice. You never know what you're going to get. Beth Page has on and off nights. I mean, some nights best ice, some nights it's terrible. Uh, you really don't know what you're going to get, but hopefully ice is good at Freeport. Never played there, and hopefully we can pull out another win. Considering we're sitting at 5-0, and uh, it's really important for us to grab this win, and then Tuesday we play again. Uh, grab that win too because next Saturday we play Long Beach at Beth Page, 7 o'clock, and Long Beach has always been one of the best teams in the league, toughest teams to beat, uh, one of the toughest teams to beat, and always becomes a physical game too against Long Beach. So uh, it would be helpful to go into that game 7-0. and So I want to move on now into the NFL where one of the – weirdest things I've ever seen happen on a field, to say the least, uh, occurred. But before I get into uh, the NFL, uh, Cole, do you want to give us the weather real quick? 
I do have the weather, and tonight expect a low of 30 degrees as the weather continues just to get chillier every night. Saturday the 16th, tomorrow, sunny throughout the day, high of 38, low of 31. And NFL Sunday, 17th, scattered showers throughout the day, high of 43, low of 39. All right, thank you for that, and let's move into, I mean, something I've been excited to talk about all day uh, since it happened last night. That is the whole incident with um, Miles Garrett, of course, and Mason Rudolph. So last night, for all of you who don't know, in the Brown Steelers game, Thursday night football, at the end of the game when it was really uh, already in the Browns' hands, and they were kind of just letting uh, the Steelers, that is, letting Mason Rudolph try and redeem himself from his four picks throughout the game, which we'll get into more of the game itself a little bit later, I guess. But, you know, they were letting Mason Rudolph throw the ball around a little bit, uh, and there was a play where Rudolph was hit uh, by Garrett. Garrett stayed on him for what Rudolph felt was a little bit too long and a little bit too late of a hit. Uh, Rudolph looked to try and get his hand under Garrett's helmet, uh, and that's when Garrett proceeded to rip Rudolph's helmet off. And when Rudolph went to run at him, Garrett bashed him over the head with <laughs> Rudolph's own helmet. It sounds ridiculous to say. I mean, I can't believe we're actually having a conversation about a guy bashing him with, with his own helmet. Um, but, yeah, he bashed him over the head with his helmet. And at that point, um, you had Pouncey getting in there, center for the Steelers. He's kicking at uh, Garrett. I mean, tons of stuff happening. Let's kind of... <laughs> just go through this whole fight. I mean, what are your takes on this? Who played a big role? What's your opinion on suspensions in this case? I mean, uh, you can give us the suspensions too. Yeah, well, just before I get into my takes, we'll give the suspensions first. Miles Garrett, is the defensive end for the Browns, is suspended indefinitely, and the NFL said it's at least for the rest of this regular season and bearing a playoff run for the Browns, which probably looks unlikely now because it's their best defensive player who's now out. Um, if they were to make the playoffs, he would be out too, and we have no clue if this will span into next season as well. Um, Marquise Pouncey, the center for the Pittsburgh Steelers, suspended for three games, and Larry Ogunjobi, who is a defensive lineman for the Browns as well, is suspended for one game. Both the Browns and the Steelers were both fined $250,000, is that correct? Uh, I believe so. Yeah, just from it, it, memory, definitely wasn't, it definitely wasn't $25,000. Yeah, $250,000. And I guess we can say we're still awaiting a potential punishment for Mason Rudolph. Good. We, we don't, don't know, really know. We don't know, but that's also part of the discussion that we're going to get into. So, yeah, all that happened, that was all released around noon today when we were all in class. I got those updates coming through. But in terms of what I thought from this fight, and this is something, I mean, I just finished watching the Knicks game last night. I was getting ready, to go, getting ready to go to bed, doing some last-minute studying that I wasn't able to do because I was so focused on that Knicks game. I see this game's getting out of hand. I'm like, all right, I'm just going to turn it off. And I see my tweets going through. Holy crap. Oh, my God. This. I'm like, I think I have to go turn on the game. I think, this, <laughs> I think that's what it means. Turn the game, and then I just see Miles Garrett doing one of the most disgusting acts I've ever seen on a, on a professional sports field before. But my, my favorite take of the entire night, outside of even the fight, I mean, obviously in relation to the fight, but outside of the actual fight, Mason Rudolph is kind of the winner of the fight because this whole fight and all the drama that ensued after masked his awful performance from the game when he just had... If, that, if it weren't for that fight, 
he would have been absolutely ripped as the number one headline in all these, in more than the Browns way in that game, it would have been more of Rudolph's terrible performance. So that's number one. And number two, the biggest what if I had from this entire situation that I just kept thinking that all day more than the fight is that Mason Rudolph did not suffer a major injury in this. And it's also important to note that he went had a blackout concussion, I believe, three or four weeks ago against Baltimore when Earl Thomas took him out and he was out for multiple weeks. The fact that he had this entire incident and came out clean with it. Imagine if Mason Rudolph... The helmet connected with his head in a much cleaner way than what it actually did when Garrett took a swing at it. Which, I mean, it seems that he got contact, but clearly not enough because Rudolph was able to get back up and said he's perfectly fine. But if he were to get really hit and let's say his his, his skull opens and he's bleeding all over the field and everyone's going crazy and, and he's seriously injured, could you imagine what could have sparked from this? If you think it's bad right now, Imagine how much worse it would have been if he had really kind of serious injury from it. We're talking about Miles Garrett potentially being suspended for like multiple years, if not the rest Life. of his career. Yeah. Life, release, cut, career over. Not to mention Mason Rudolph's career would probably be over as well. That got that's a that's a life threatening injury that could have came from it. But let's get into the other details. Rob, what do you gotta say? The Garrett suspension. It's going to be more than just these six games, as six games is not nearly enough of how much suspension he needs. Rudolph, I don't expect him to get suspended because I think he was the one who actually started the fight. I don't think Garrett had any intentions of actually going after Rudolph, but once Rudolph was trying to take Garrett's helmet off, I think that's what sparked the fight for Garrett. Happen to be confused on why Rudolph was trying to do that. I heard one person say his hand, his left hand was stuck in the, in the face mask or the helmet and he was trying to get it off. But like, yeah. from watching the video enough times, and I, I really watched it closely. Like, it just, I, I, I can't think of a reason why, it, I mean, his hand I, was stuck. I, I mean, don't think so. I think what was happening was he was just frustrated because one, he's had a terrible game and now Garrett's hitting him arguably late. I mean, that that is up for discussion whether it was a late hit or not arguably a late hit then he's falling on top of him too something that the NFL's tried to crack down on at least we saw that whole fiasco with that Clay Matthews a couple years ago falling on top of Rudolph and now Rudolph one of the most frustrating games of his short career so far and he's have, having to deal with this I think it was just out of frustration he's just grabbing at whatever to mm-hmm. throw Garrett off of I think him that's a good point and grabbed at his helmet a mistake and Garrett basically said like anything you can do I can do better and yeah. ripped Rudolph's helmet off I mean it, it was pretty insane though in the moment to watch it mm-hmm. so Rob go on yeah I agree with you Ethan about the frustration getting to Rudolph and the game was 15 seconds it was gonna end in 15 seconds and I think the that Garrett that he was staying on top of Rudolph pissed off Rudolph. He was having a horrible night, as you said, with four interceptions, which is he was going to get ripped, as Cole said. And Garrett uh, took offense to the fact that his helmet was getting ripped off. So he went right after Rudolph, taking Rudolph's helmet off and eventually running with it and hitting Rudolph in the head. But the other part of this is Marquise Pouncey, the center, I don't think he deserves three games for that suspension. He was standing up for his quarterback, as 
all offensive linemen should do. That's why they played the game to protect their quarterback. And he saw that his quarterback was didn't have any help with his helmet or anything to defend himself. And he was just trying to get Garrett off of Rudolph. And Aganjobi, I don't know if I'm saying his name correctly, but I think he deserved a longer suspension after he was the one who pushed Rudolph after Pouncey got him up. So I think the Garrett suspension should be longer than this season. I don't think Rudolph should be suspended. Pouncey, I think he should appeal his suspension, and I think it should be lowered. And Aganjobi, I think, should be at least three games. So now, obviously, lots of names mentioned. Those were the main guys in the fight. In terms of Garrett, yeah, for sure, he's going to be suspended all year, possibly even six games into to next season. We don't know yet uh, what's going on with him. I, I mean, he really t- deserves what he gets. It's as simple as that. With Rudolph, I, I like the fact that he wasn't suspended. However, he did technically instigate I mean, maybe if I was the NFL, I would have dished out a fine to him. Uh, just to say, not a suspension because he wasn't as big of a part in this. But he did instigate, and after his helmet was taken off, it wasn't like he stayed down and flung his hands up to the officials like, what the heck, he just ripped my helmet off. He then viciously went after him, which led to the hit on the head. That, to me, warrants a fine. I think that's, I think that's a very important point that people need to recognize more. And In my opinion, I'm just going to go over it just as you guys just did. I agree Garrett should be suspended well into next season as well because of what I said before, the prospect of this going worse than what it actually was. The NFL needs to, pr- needs to show everyone. I don't think this will ever happen again. To be honest, I think the NFL has learned its lesson, as in the players. I would hope not. <laughs> but, like, I think that they need to show that the potential consequence that this that could have happened from this is is warranted with um, Garrett's suspension. And with Rudolph, I think he probably should have gone suspended for a game because I think his instigation was a little bit more than just, you know, getting up. It's he Not only did he instigate the fight, he gets up and then he gets in his face which clearly pissed off Garrett enough that he did it. And by no means did this, this um, what's it called, warrant Garrett's actions. And I I'm agree with all the guys I was listening to on radio today who and, and podcasts who were saying, don't even give me the crap about how Rudolph instigated the fight. It doesn't mean anything. But it does. It does mean something because this a lot of this might not happen if Rudolph doesn't get up and tries to fight back. But then going along with that, I think Joby should have gotten a longer suspension, as Rob said before, because I think he had the most underrated part of the fight, which was that he had a blindside hit on Rudolph for absolutely no reason. After his teammate just swung at his head, out of nowhere, he comes up, lowers a shoulder on blindside on Rudolph, knocks him down for no reason with that helmet on. Yeah. What, what, what is the point of that? What's the point? I think that is worse than what Pouncey did, even though... I think the reason why Pouncey was suspended three games is that the NFL doesn't want it to see- make it seem like kicking someone's helmet anyway. Yeah, that, that was the thing. I was going to say, I'll play devil's advocate for Pouncey. Now, I do agree with an offensive lineman defending their quarterback, yes. but it was really, once he's down, punched him a couple times, that's it. Then he got back up. Why, and why he, are players still punching helmets? His... Why are players punching helmets still? It, at least, if you want to give the funny part of this, at least they took his helmet off to hit him in the head. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> you, players got to stop trying to punch with helmets on. It makes it, It's common sense. Nothing is going to happen. You're, you're at bigger risk of hurting yourself by punching with your bare hand against a helmet 
than, than take oh, – it's ridiculous. That's why hockey players take it off. Exactly, but that's why he obviously went for the kick after, but that that was kind of like the last straw. It was like you got him to the ground, punched him a couple times in the helmet, did nothing, whatever. I think that wasn't satisfying enough for Pouncey. Pouncey wanted to really get to Garrett. He, was, he saw what happened. He wanted to get to him. He started kicking him, went back down on him. The kicks is – to me, obviously, what got him those three games. Uh, I understand defending your quarterback. But yeah, so right right intention, wrong action. Yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, the whole situation is, is ridiculous in and of itself. The fact that we're talking about this. Now, um, I mean, if we want to just bring up, I, I guess I'll make it a little bit more light, this situation. If you want to hear something funny, you know the Joe Buck call uh, when um, – when when it actually happened, he was like, it's something that you should never have to see mm-hmm. um, on an NFL screen. Uh, basically, if you take that call and flip it with the Randy Moss call, they sound <laughs> almost exactly the same timing-wise. Really? It's ridiculous. Portnoy uh, tweeted it, and it's so funny. Like, exact same, like, terminology. Um, if you take that uh, Randy Moss moment when he did the whole stripper thing, um, and Joe Buck was like, this is absolutely disgusting, and like time it with the same way he did the call. Uh, it almost lines up perfectly, and it works in both spots. So uh, just kind of make, make the situation a little bit lighter. We always have Joe Buck for that. Uh, <laughs> but, but, yeah, I mean, definitely an interesting situation here. <laughs> I, I, I mean, it's it's ridiculous. I want to talk about Kitchens and Mayfield a bit and their comments and leadership after the game because I think those are two extremely key factors. And before we get into it, I want to play this clip from Freddie Kitchens. He was asked after the game if his team is out of control. And this was his response, which I think is just incredible. So all credit goes to the reporter who took this video. I believe it's the account Jen Steer on Twitter. So credit to Jen Steer. Five seconds to go in the game. I'll ask you straight out because you said to. Does any of this go back to the preseason in Indianapolis when the fights were? I don't want to say encouraged, but they were okay. Encouraged. Okay, fights. Did you say that? I never condone fighting on a football field because that's penalties. I don't coach penalties. I don't coach false starts. I don't coach after the whistle uh, grabbing somebody's face mask. I don't coach that. Look, I, I just have an issue with that because all the Browns have been this season is the NFL's most undisciplined team and worst coach team. And that's the reason why they have this whole bundle of talent and it's amounted to this. The most penalties in the league by a landslide Terrible coaching. Now this, the the worst, most disgusting event we've ever seen in a football field, from like outside the play, and and he thinks pretty much that this team isn't out of control. That's what he's implying. Are you kidding me, Freddie Kitchens? Are you out of your mind? This guy, <laughs> no, I'm, I'm being serious. Yeah, though. no, like, th- this guy is not a leader. He's a terrible leader. Matter of fact, he it, it's it's unbelievable. And then all this guy has done is brought down this team. And it's been exactly what so many people thought of Freddie Kitchens, that he was going to be the reason why this team isn't good. He's part of the reason why Baker Mayfield's regression has gone down. He's the reason why they might lose Odell Beckham Jr. because now they are might have to trade him. It's out of control. And I'm going to put so much of this on Freddie Kitchens because he doesn't hold his team accountable enough. Unlike Baker Mayfield, who after the game 
held Miles yeah. Garrett accountable. And I love that he said that because that's what a leader does. He holds his teammates accountable. He tells them. He doesn't sugarcoat it, and he doesn't go and defend them just like like what Ogun, Ogun Joby was doing. That's sugarcoating it. Yeah, for in my sure. opinion. And just to read out what Baker said, he said, I didn't see why it started, but it's inexcusable. I don't care rivalry or not. We can't do that. That's kind of the history of what's been going on here lately, hurting yourself, and that's endangering the other team. It's inexcusable. He knows that. I hope he does now. It's tough. We'll see. So those were Baker Mayfield's comments. That wasn't the only really bad play for the Browns' defense. There was two others, both uh, Steelers wide receivers, Juju Smith-Schuster, as well as Deontay Johnson, both got hit hard. Deontay Johnson got a concussion after Demarius R- Randall, the Browns' safety, hit him right in the head. He was not. I, I believe he was bleeding out of his ear. Yes, yes, which is just yes. I did awful. see that clip. Yeah. So, <laughs> and most and. Smith got con- Smith Schuster got a concussion, correct? Yeah. And I think there was even a post of um one of the Browns players, I forgot who, I saw on Instagram and someone reposted because the the Browns player ended up deleting it. It was a picture of Juju Smith Schuster on the ground holding his head. And it's like what a great win last night. That was like the caption or so- something along those lines. That's holding your team accountable. How can you let that behavior happen? That's all part of it. Social media is such a big part of professional sports nowadays. Actually, at sports in any level. And coaches need to hold their players accountable for that. And I think it's ridiculous. And I think something like that is an example of not giving the, the giving the whole speech on it. I think the Browns, they need to hire some social media people to have their players stop tweeting things on social media. A couple weeks ago, the Browns' safety, I believe his last name was Whitehead, he got uh, waived by the team after his comments. And now... As Cole referred to, another Browns player is talking on social media. I think the Browns... Yeah, Jermaine Whitehead. Yeah. Death threat. Death threats. All, yes, yes. All of their team needs to get off of social media right now. This is a horrible time for the Browns. <laughs> yeah, I mean, if, if the Browns could have that much control, I would recommend that too. Just get the whole team off social media. Anyways... In the interest of time, I want to move on to our typical weekly. I mean, it's gonna it's a hard 180 to make, but let's move on to the prediction segment that we usually do here on Friday Night Lights. Uh, give your predictions. Let's go. Yeah, before I do that, while I'm pulling up my predictions, there was a g- football game last night, and the Browns did win 21-7. That is, that is 100% true. <laughs> I mean, like, it, it's unbelievable. This game was seven seconds from having a normal headline in the morning, and talking about how the Browns won a game and how they actually have a chance at making the playoffs now because of their pillow-soft schedule to end the season. And now that they lost their best defensive player and they have this dark, stormy cloud over the entire organization, I mean, talk about ruining your chances. Talk about pulling a Browns right there. So let's get into our predictions. Something I'm curious to see this weekend. I'm curious to see who shows up in the in the Sunday Night Football battle between the Chicago Bears and Los Angeles Rams, considering how poor both those teams have been playing as of late. It's a great opportunity for either team to bounce back. And I think the Rams will bounce back, but I'm really curious to see what happens and how the quarterbacks play. Um, for something that I'm certain about, I think the Saints and the Patriots will rebound respectively in their games this weekend and get back on the right track and remind everyone exactly who they are. Rob? Yeah, I, I'm also curious to see if the Bills could bounce back. They had a tough loss against the Browns last week, and now they're playing the really, really hot Dolphins. (laughs) So maybe the Dolphins to make it three straight. Who knows? I'm certain that the Chiefs will win this week against the Chargers. 
Mahomes lost last week in his debut against Ryan Tannehill in Tennessee, and now I think he's going to come back Monday night football against the Chargers and beat them. And my bold prediction for this week, I don't know if we could consider this bold, but I think the Ravens will beat Texans. It's two very young quarterbacks playing each other. The it, I think this is like the fourth or fifth time that Heisman quarterbacks met in both college and the NFL, and I think Lamar Jackson's going to win this battle. You know I agree with that because, I, as you know, I'm a big Lamar Jackson fan. But anyway, one thing I'm curious to see is the man, the myth, the legend, Nick Foles is back this week. He's going up against the Colts. Uh, the Colts finally have Jacoby Brissett back. I, I say finally like he was gone for a while, but just that one week with Hoyer in was god-awful for them. So uh, to have Brissett back is huge. And now to be able to go up against Nick Foles, I'm curious to see how Nick Foles plays in this game. You know, it's crazy to think that the whole Gardner Minshew kind of saga is coming to this abrupt stop right now. But uh, who knows? I want to see how Nick Foles plays in this game. One thing I'm certain about, I agree with you, Cole, Breeze is going to bounce back, and the Saints are going to show uh, the world who they are because that that was not the Saints that we saw last week. I, I don't know what that was. but it's very, it's, It was a very fluky performance, yeah. a classic fluky performance from any team. It's a wake-up call, in my opinion. It's a wake-up call that says, look, you want Super Bowl, Super Bowl aspirations? You can't just walk through every team every week. You actually have to play the game. For sure, and... Uh, one bold prediction I have, actually, a guy, another guy coming back from a bad injury, uh, Darius Geis. I believe he has the potential to be a top 10 running back this week going up against the, the Jets defense. Darius Geis coming back for the Redskins. Haskins as quarterback. I don't think they trust Haskins 100% yet to throw the ball every play. I think they give it to Geis a lot and let him carve up the Jets defense. Yeah, I have to say that Jets defense is a pretty terrible job against Saquon Barkley last week holding him to one yard on 13 rushes you can say he's hurt you can say he's hurt you can say he's not but the Jets have actually been the number one run stopping defense in the league this year so we'll see if guys can get the job done this weekend yeah I mean I don't know <laughs> I mean, the Giants have levy on too <laughs> it's, <laughs> it, it's the battle in New York that what 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 else can you say um but anyway that just about wraps up our NFL talk Let's move on to some MLB, but before we do that, uh, Parker's going to give you guys some fantasy football advice here on WKWZ 88.5 Syosset. Hello, my name is Parker Needleman, and welcome to Fantasy Football Advice on WKWZ 88.5 Syosset. One player that I recommend you trade away if you have him is Julio Jones of the Atlanta Falcons. Jones is arguably the best, if not one of the best receivers in the NFL, and you could trade away at a high value. I recommend you trade away Jones because as we are in the second half of the NFL season, the Falcons are not playing meaningful football by any means, which will lead to a decrease in Jones' numbers. A player I recommend that you make an attempt to pick up for this week only is the Jets' defense. The Jets are coming off an impressive performance against the Giants where they recorded two fumble recoveries and one was brought in for a touchdown, as well as six sacks. Now this week, the Jets will face off against the Washington Redskins whose offense is significantly worse than the Giants and haven't been able to figure out anything all season. 
finally, another player I recommend you make an, make an attempt to pick up is Mason Rudolph of the Pittsburgh Steelers. The Steelers were off to a shaky start in the beginning of the season and have managed to win for the last four of their last five. In every game he has started this season, Rudolph has thrown for at least one touchdown and the Steelers are playing extremely meaningful football at the moment as they continue to fight for a wild card spot in the AFC. Once again, this is Parker Needleman with Fantasy Football Advice. This is WKWZ 88.5 Sayasit, and you're listening to Friday Night Lights. We just got through a long discussion about the whole Miles Garrett controversy, and let's talk about another controversy. <laughs> Why don't we? The Houston Astros, once again, circulating around this team is news that they potentially uh, basically cheated by stealing signs using uh, technology uh, or a camera to be specific in a garbage can, I believe, is what the report or no, said. no, camera in, in center field, in center and they field. banged on the ga- garbage can oh, yes, yes, when yes. they wanted to signify yes. um, the sign from the catcher. Yeah, so, I mean, well, <laughs> there's so much to be said about this, but, uh, I mean, Cole, start us off. What, what are your thoughts? I think the best part of this is all the um, memes that have been made on, <laughs> on Twitter. <laughs> no doubt. With, like, I, my favorite one so far was one of David Ortiz when he – Destroyed the the phone in the in the dugout with the bat, and he's just in the dugout just destroying this phone, and you can hear it. Cause if you want to know the the origin of the this whole thing is that um, there's one video that surfaced. I think jo- John Boy Media, who's been all yes. over for now on, uh, I mean, talk about a great come up story during this baseball season. <laughs> um, he posted a video that took an in depth look at. If you really listen closely, you can hear. Every single time, I think it was a, a random Astros versus Mariners game, or Astros versus White Sox game, and the catcher was giving the signs, and every time he gave a changeup, you heard this bang, bang noise, this two thumps every time. And when, by the end of the count, before he ended up striking um, the, the I forgot who was, uh, I think it was, um, who's the catcher for the Astros a few years ago? Maldonado? No. Trinos? Gaddis, Gaddis. Oh, okay. okay. He, he was a catcher, right? Or was he the first baseman? Evan Gattis was the catcher and the first baseman. All right, so there we go. Um, he's batting, and then once the count, I think the count was full, the pitcher decided, he goes, no, I, I, he goes, I hear this thumping, and they know what I'm doing. So the, he calls up the catcher, he tells him to change the sign, strikes him out. So that was the video that surfaced, and all these videos have been coming up of just thumping noises and then the home run coming right and after. Whistles, too. Yeah. I mean, uh, they, did, they did everything. Yeah, you have fires coming out telling us. <laughs> Talk about a snitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> got Takashi 6 9 out here. To- yeah. No, but really, fires coming out and talking about that, that's pretty insane. Against his own team? I mean. Yeah. I mean, I, I expected Taubman next to come out and say something, considering the bad terms he left on. For all of you who don't know, Taubman uh, was the former assistant GM who got fired over the playoffs for making those terrible comments about uh, Acuna. But I definitely thought that he was going to come out and say something too, considering the the terms that he left on with the Astros. Uh, just real quick, going back to those funny memes that have been coming around on Twitter, I have to say my favorite one is... Um, uh, Trevor Bauer posted a video of him hanging a terrible 81 mile per hour slider down the middle, and he like 
paused the frame right when it like came off the bet and it put he put like the thinking emoji face on it like like as a clearly sarcastic joke like it must have been cheating that made him throw that terrible 81 mile per hour <laughs> slider <laughs> mm-hmm. i think that was by far the best because he he made it a light-hearted joke uh not even about the cheating more about himself like picking on himself but anyway back to this I mean, do you, do you guys think that this is happening, or do you think that this is be almost being fabricated? Uh, I think the Astros, I think they're very smart for doing this. I don't see anything wrong that they're seeing the signs. Cole, what's wrong with it? I mean, look, there's people who say, oh, it's part of the game, but this is ridiculous. I mean, Rob, That's- I'm actually very surprised you just said that, because you have a, you have a camera in center field, and they're and they're making thumping noises, and... And, try, and trying to cheat, I mean, that that's not, it, it just, it, I mean, I'd say it ruins the game, but, like, it's, I mean, you have all these analytics going already, and you need to do that on top of that? I mean, come on, like, look, is it smart? Is it risky? Of course, but, like, you know, it kind of, like, illegit- illegitimizes their, their but wins. Not even that, though. Sign stealing is a part of baseball. When you have a guy at second who somehow has the eyes to see that and wants to look over, that's something else, but... There is a rule written by the MLB there, that there strictly prohibits using technology during gameplay um, to do something like this, and that's so it's just inherently against. That's, that's the, the golden. Rules that's, of the go, that's the golden point right there. Yeah. So so obviously there is an extent to sign stealing being quote unquote okay, maybe unethical, but at least accepted in baseball nowadays. If you're able to steal the signs, like good for you. Like you, whether the pitcher's tipping. Whatever's happening, um, but when you're using a camera, that's when it kind of jumps past that, uh, and when it becomes blatantly obvious, and when it's been s- uh, surrounding this team for so long, and when a player's coming out, a former player, and now saying it, and uh, it, it's just, it's such a weird situation for the Astros. I think this doesn't take away from their 2017 World Title as 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 well as their success over the past couple of years. But it's it's a terrible look on their organization. And what I think the MLB will do when you go in, when you when we're talking about a punishment, I think the MLB is going to just like the NFL is doing. They're going to make a statement by giving a hefty punishment to the Astros. I don't know how hefty it's going to be, but it'll be hefty enough that teams will be afraid of doing it for now. And, and now teams are going to look out for stuff like this going forward, and the league will as well. So there's a lot that's going to spark from these findings coming out. Yeah, Cole, we don't want any suspensions because, as they say, Carlos Beltran is a big part of this. And if he was a big part of it, he was just the player. And if he gets suspended as the manager, the Mets are in trouble. Yeah, I mean, of course, of all things, the Mets have to somehow get tied. <laughs> even, even when it's nothing to do with the Mets, they, the they, still, they still find a way to get tied <laughs> In into the it. AL, it makes absolutely still no get sense. tied to it. That's the Mets. It's, <laughs> That's it's the, the Mets. most Mets thing in the entire world. If, like... <laughs> but now, looking, I, I, I just, I don't understand. looking at punishments, though, I mean, I, I don't know what they could do as a punishment. I was actually Buck Showalter. Uh, Michael K posted a video of Buck Showalter talking about what he thinks the punishment could be. He really didn't go into specifics at all, but he talked about. He's like, I don't think that taking draft picks away is really going to make a difference. But he doesn't think that you can just like take away a, a team's 
uh, manager for the, for the year, for example. People want A.J. Hinch suspended for the year and a couple other guys uh, suspended. Uh, and Buck Showalter said in all the dealings he's had with A.J. Hinch, A.J. Hinch has seemed like a like a, a great guy. Obviously, you never know the other side of people, and it's not like it doesn't make him not a good guy to, to cheat. It's just bad judgment for multiple seasons, I guess. But, I mean... It's tough. How do you dish out this punishment? You can't take away... You can't strip them of their title. To me, that's just ridiculous. No, no, that's ridiculous. So, you look at ahead. How do you make it so that this team basically can't... Like, do you make it so... Which is what Buck Showalter said. He said that he believes that he they need to make it so that almost like this team can't win next season. Which is an odd thing to say. And I don't really know. He didn't even know how he he would go about that. But that was his take on it. I mean, the most ironic part is that that 2017 was that 2017 team was so talented that they didn't even need the cheat to do this. But you know, maybe maybe this made them better. I think there were some stats I don't remember exactly about their home and away yeah, splits. Yeah, away splits. How they played significantly better at home. I mean, it was it was definitely a real thing, and it definitely helped them, and they definitely had an advantage of it. But the one thing I don't want the MLB to do is give some lofty fine and just call it a day. It's the dumbest thing. These are billion-dollar organizations throughout all four major sports, and the league's giving them uh, a million-dollar fine, a five-million-dollar fine. Doesn't do anything. It really doesn't because that's a that's a tap. That's a, like a penny out of their pocket. I don't. I won't understand if the MLB was to suspend Hinch. Cora or Beltron, I think they would have to suspend the Astros general manager because I think he would be the one who put the cameras in center field. And if the Astros GM was supposed to be, would be taken away by suspension, the Astros, they would be significantly worse. They're going to lose Garrett Cole this offseason. And I don't know if if AJ Hinch, how much power he has, and usually in baseball, the GMs have a lot of things to say during the game, as the Mets had had some problems with that lately, also. But if AJ Hinch is put to a manager as well as GM role for the Astros, if the GM gets suspended, I don't know how the Astros are going to survive. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I, that's why I think Buck Showalter also said, like, it's a toss-up. You don't want to spend A.J. Hinch, but he, he basically said he if it is true that they cheated and they find this, that he doesn't want them to be able to just kind of forget about it and just win next season. It doesn't matter. So that was kind of the mindset for him, and uh, I think that's fair to say. It's it's not really fair to the rest of the league to be like, all right, take, as Cole said, take this small fine and, you know what, just, like, don't use the camera anymore. Like, that that's your bad, whatever. So uh, I think they're going to have to figure out a way to deal with this, but I want to move on to the NBA. Before we do that, let me just make a quick mention of the MLB Award uh, winners. Verlander and DeGrom were the two Cy Young Award winners. You had Trout and Bellinger as the league MVPs, and you had Alonzo and Alvarez as the Rookie of the Year. Uh, any comments on those? Yeah, I really don't understand how Verlander won the Cy Young and the AL over his teammate uh, Garrett Cole. Garrett Cole had his best season by far at, with his second year with the Astros, and he only lost one game between May to June. That is amazing. He went 18-1, and one and he got 13 first-place votes for the Cy Young Award compared to uh, Verlander's 17. But I think that 
Cole really should have won that award. He was just the better pitcher this year. Two quick things. One, I think these awards, just like every other league, truly show recency bias. And one of my favorite terms in sports, this is all recency bias. It all ended up uh, depending on the end of the season, not an overall season type of thing. So that's my first point. Second of all, shame on the Mets for wasting a Cy Young season on Jacob deGrom and an unbelievable rookie season on Pete, Pete Alonso and still not making the playoffs. Well, that's the second Cy Young season so they back wasted to back, in a row. Two so. back-to-back Cy Young seasons for DeGrom, and they waste both. Uh, I, I can't even yeah, talk I mean, about him anymore. Just, just, can we move on, please? Yeah. To, just real quick, though, to play devil's advocate for Verlander, Verlander did have a historic season, which is why I think he won, too. The fact that he had he was like the first pitcher to get three um, no-hitters in his career. Uh, he also got his... Um, what was it, 3,000th strikeout in his first game of the season. I mean, he just hit a bunch of records, and I think that pushed him over the edge, the fact that it was historic for him and not just the fact that uh, he was necessarily better overall. Um, Anyways, I want to move into the NBA. Real quick, uh, before we do that, Awareness Club is doing a Chipotle fundraiser. Uh, Show the Flyer posted on their Instagram on buying food. Uh, as a third of the proceeds will go to Awareness Club. This is Sunday, November 17th from 4 to 8 at 420 Jericho Turnpike. That is the Chipotle on Jericho Turnpike. So let's look at the NBA. Let's start with the Knicks. I have a lot to say about Kristaps. Let's start just overall with the Knicks' week in review. They started the week with a blowout loss to the Cavs. That is where... Everything, you know, went wrong for them. They had the whole meetings with Mills and Perry, uh, the conference where they talked about what they expected going forth and how they didn't expect this from the team, where we then got that fun clip of Stephen A. Smith screaming about how could you not expect this from the team that you put together. Uh, We then move on for them to lose against the Bulls. And then... They also get those two wins. I mean, one last week, but... Yeah, last win, Friday, which yes. is right right after our show. So last Friday, they get that win against... That's right, because I, I was at my hockey game during that game. Uh, they, they get that win against Dallas in Dallas, and now last night they get the win against KP in Dallas in New York. I mean, let's break down this whole week for the Knicks and, and the game, really, and then we'll go into Chris Stops maybe specifically a little later. I mean... Is, doesn't it just baffle you that Knicks have three wins this season and two of them will come against Dallas? And the the funniest thing about it to me, and I talked about this on last week's show, is that you think, oh, yeah, the Knicks are, you know, they have something to play for in this game. It's Porzingis, it's the guy that left them. Like, all these players in the team are either newly signed or newly drafted or were on the team with Porzingis for one year when he wasn't even playing. So, like... It's so ironic that they're playing the best in these two games against Porzingis when they have literally nothing to play for because they have nothing against Porzingis in any way. So I, th- I thought that was very funny in the end. But the thing about this Knicks team, if you really look at a broad overview, is that, yes, all three of their wins have literally come in the last minutes and seconds of the fourth quarter, but of their nine losses, I'd say, I mean, I'll have to fact-check this in a second while Rob is talking, but I'd estimate around five or six of them of their losses, they were had, they were either winning, tied, or within a basket in like the fourth, thir- end of the third quarter, beginning of the fourth quarter, yeah, in no all doubt. those games, and they've got, they've lost by like twenty and three of those. I think it speaks something about this Knicks team, and I even saw they're they're only a game, at, I think a game and a half out of the seventh seed in the Eastern Conference, 
So imagine imagine one of those games is right and the Knicks have a playoff spot right now. Are you kidding me? So, like, look, this team is not as bad as people are making it seem. This isn't a fluky win over Dallas. It's a good win. When the team plays the right way, they play phenomenally. phenomenally. And when not when they don't, it's an absolute disaster. Yeah, I think the Knicks just really suck. The reason I say that is they don't. They need one player to like take the team to victory, and they signed Julius Randle this offseason. But as I'm looking right now, Randle played the most minutes last night, 36 minutes, and was only able to produce 17 points. While I was watching the game, Randle was constantly shooting and shooting, and he wasn't looking to pass at all. While there were Neil Aquino was open a lot and he wasn't getting the ball, and I think Randall has to stop shooting the ball when he's cold and start passing it around, and the Knicks need Morris or even Randall or Neil Aquina to really step up as the leader of the team in order for the Knicks to be successful. I just looked at every single game they've played so far, so 12 games. In 10 of them, they were either winning, tied, or within a basket or two baskets, in the fourth quarter. The only two games they weren't was that one Cleveland game when they got blown out on a Sunday night and um, the Kings game. Yeah, that that's the tale of the Knicks season. And just really quick, hitting on what uh, Rob said, obviously we talked about Randall last week. He's been a bit of a disappointment. Uh, he started off the game very strong, though, last night. His start was great. He started off with eight points, I believe, uh, really dominating on the glass. And I think that was what was missed um, from what Rob just said. Obviously, didn't have a great shooting percentage night, but the glass was really uh, what was kind of, uh, no pun intended, but the rebound for him. He he just looked phenomenal down there, offensive boards especially. That was the t- tail of the game for the Knicks, threes and offensive boards. And that's what really kept them alive in this game. Looking at Nilakina too, Nilakina looks amazing on defense. I, I mean, from offense, he's obviously got his problems, but he can work those out, hopefully, uh, through shooting. But he's he made, much better. Yeah, and he made a couple free throws, too, which is big. He's only a 50% free throw shooter throughout his uh, career. So making those two free throws at the end to ice the game, that's pretty huge. But uh, you look now at uh, his defense, and he's looked insane. He had that key jump ball against Doncic uh, towards the end of the game. And he won the jump ball. Exactly. I mean, he, he looks great on defense. There's... Dennis Smith Jr. having a great offensive game, finally coming back uh, against his former team and being able to do it. Huge for him. Morris, once again, pretty good game, especially that late game three uh, to put them over. And some of the other threes he hit throughout the third and fourth quarter. Really, the second half is when he came alive. He struggled in the first, came alive in the second. I mean, this was a big game for a lot of guys on the Knicks. Lastly, Mitch Robinson. He's insane down there. I mean, the chemistry between him and uh, R.J. Barrett, too, throwing up all those alley-oops to him. As well as Dennis. Dennis yeah, is definitely really, building a good um, chemistry Last with night, Mitch especially, Robinson. we saw that. The couple alley-oops to him. I, it's so important. Uh, I mean, all of them really showed their potential last night, which was key. They yeah. all had a good game. Uh, no one really stood out as bad throughout the game, necessarily. Uh, and that's huge for the Knicks. The biggest team with that Knicks team, with this Knicks team and their young core so each of them has their own problems, obviously, but they all have huge strengths. I mean, look, Neil Aquina, elite defender already in his was his third or fourth season now. Third, uh, third, third season. Milton Robinson, unbelievable paint presence on the offensive and defensive end of the floor, and is is able to dunk and clean up every single cl- uh, 
board on every single play. Knox, awesome shooter off the bench, will eventually slide into that starting lineup. He's definitely developing more of a driving game. I, lo- I love to see that from, from Knox. And then look at Smith, who this is the Smith that the Knicks traded for, and this is the Smith that the Knicks fans have been waiting for. It definitely seems that he's finally gotten over that nagging back injury that he had all preseason, and he's uh, luckily gotten over the death of um, his family member that he's been mourning the past few weeks. That's why he wasn't with the team. Look, Randall has his own struggles, but hopefully he he takes the pressure off himself because I think it's clear to see that Randall can't thrive as a number one option, especially when driving to the hoop and with the ball in his hands. But which is why I also like the offense running through Morris a bit more yeah, too. 100%. I think that worked out perfectly in there. Um, past few games that Morris has dominated, it's been because they've let it run more through him instead of Randall, who's yeah. has his issues dribbling too. There's that one play. I don't know if you guys caught this. Did you guys both watch till the end of the game? Uh, yeah, for the most part. Rob, no, <laughs> it's fine. I mean, people have obligations. But um, there's this one play. Randall's at the top of the key. I think it was one of the last possessions of the game. I think the game was tied. Randall calls for an iso, dribbles up into the paint, dishes out to Smith with probably two to three seconds left in the shot clock for a contested three with a, a not a good three point shooter and Dennis Smith Jr. And like it's plays like that that tick me off with Randall. Yeah. Like what? Like what is the intention behind that? Yeah, it's it, like asking basically for the ISO and then kicking it out in the end. Although I did like that one play against Porzingis when uh, he was able to go right at him and Porzingis kind of flopped to the ground uh, in a ridiculous oh, yeah. fashion. He was just backing into him. It wasn't like he pushed off really. I think that's a good basketball play by Randall and a good no call by the refs. He was able to power his way in and get the easy layup off Porzingis while he flailed his arms on the floor. I mean... I think yeah, let's, let's talk about Porzingis. Yeah, I want to get into Porzingis a little bit. So I want to start it off with what kind of ticked me off this morning when I read this comment, uh, which was from Doncic, and he said it was really tough for him Aww. about Porzingis. I don't Aww. think he deserved it. I, I feel I mean, so bad for are Porzingis. You, are you kidding me? I, I don't think he deserved it. It was really tough for him. This is the same guy who put on his story after not talking to Knicks fans uh, and anyone for months. Stay woke, New York? Are you kidding me? This is the guy who thought he was going to have the warm welcome. <laughs> the guy who asked to be traded. Who had such a disconnect with the organization. I was talking to Rob about this. You look at Tavares. Tavares obviously left on a terrible note with the Islanders. Porzingis arguably left on a worse note because with Tavares, obviously the, the Islanders could have reaped benefits from a trade for him, and he didn't let that happen, left on a bad note. Porzingis, I mean, it, it, it was a disconnect between him and the organization, his animosity for it uh, that caused the trade. And, um, and he wanted to leave because he didn't exactly. like that. He didn't like the direction the Knicks were going in, even though they were rebuilding around him as their best player exactly. and, and tanking and, because he was the one who tore his ACL. Like so, well, those pieces just don't match together. There was obviously something that went on behind the scenes. The only thing I didn't even think of is that he didn't like the management overall and didn't trust yeah, them, and which is fair. I think it's a fair point because we've seen how terrible the Knicks management management has been, and and I mean, he's obviously in a, arguably a better situation in Dallas, but they were building around him. They're building for him. Because so, they knew how good so he was, this and, guy he, and he didn't realize. He's now upset about this. He he didn't think he de- deserved this booing. When, going back to Tavares, Tavares at least understood why he was booed. After that get, first game back at the Coliseum, he said, I understand the fans have the right uh, to be mad. Uh, I see where they came from. They have to understand where I came from, though. That's my bad. That was kind of the Tavares attitude. 
I hate the guy, but at least he had the right attitude about it. He kind of understood why he was booed. Uh, Porzingis coming in here and feels bad about it. He's upset that the fans booed him, called him a traitor. What did he expect? Did he expect to come in here and just get a warm applause for now him? With the like, New York fans. Th- thank now you for the- your two years of service where, I mean, it wasn't even like he showed potential to be a f- franchise player. Well, no, he, he did. He, he, he played was, like an MVP for good. 30 games of, of the season he got hurt. He was good, but what did he show the Knicks? He had one season where he, what, averaged 18 points? No, he played... Next he season, had, no, next he season MVP he had, averaged 24 he had, points, something like that, and that was it. That's all the Knicks got to see from him. In my eyes... We never really knew for sure what we were going to get from him, whether we were going to get an injury-plagued guy throughout his career or whether we were going to get that guy who, for those 30 games, showed that he could be a franchise player. I think it was ridiculous for him to to think anything other than I should have been booed while going in here. I really don't understand what Porzingis was expecting last night. Throughout the week going into last night's game, he was saying the Knicks are going a different direction than the Mavericks and that he expects the Knicks to continue losing. If you're saying that, the Knicks fans will know about it, and they will boo you. There is no point of saying these comments and not expecting to be booed. So he shouldn't be crying to Doncic why he's getting booed. He deserves it. He was the one who wanted to get traded, and he is just really, really not smart. I think, that, <laughs> yeah. I think that's a great point, and, and you're messing with the wrong people. Yeah. These Knicks fans last night went out like it was a Game 7 in the NBA Finals, and the uh, NBA Finals they haven't won in 30 years. Like, this is th- that's what the fans did last night, and credit to them. They made it an awesome environment, and yeah. it, it just really, it's so unfortunate the Knicks aren't a great um, succeeding playoff organization because imagine playoff games in the Garden again. There's, nof- uh, there's yeah, nothing I mean, like it. It would, it would be insane. I mean, just even me on my couch, I swear, when Marcus Morris made that three, I jumped up and I was like cheering. I was trying to. We're at 2 and 19, exactly. the, the Mavericks. I mean, come on, in, the, mid- in the middle in, of November? In Porzingis' face was kind of my <laughs> attitude about it. You know, you know how I feel about it. I, I'm not a big Porzingis fan. I'm not a big fan of anyone who quote unquote betrays my, my teams. I'm, I'm a diehard fan of all of my teams. So. You know, got to stay loyal in my eyes. Uh, I want to move on to the NHL, though. Uh, We only have five minutes left in the show. Let me quickly touch on this before we get into Rangers and Islanders. Sidney Crosby is out for six-plus weeks. Uh, What type of implications does that have for the Penguins? I think this is significantly going to impact them. They have been playing well lately. They beat the Islanders last week, and I think this is going to hurt them because I think there's four teams really fighting in this Metro division. The Islanders, the Capitals, the Hurricanes, and the Penguins. And now that Crosby's out for almost two months, they're going to fall behind in the standings. Yeah, I mean, Crosby being out is huge for them. Obviously, it's a good thing they they have Malkin back, uh, who came back in that Islanders game, actually. But, I mean, for... The, the Penguins, uh, as you said, I agree. Those are the contenders in the division. And for the Penguins, uh, it's obviously going to hurt them. But I think their view on it is kind of just like the, for the Penguins always um, kind of come alive in the second half of the season, I'd say. That's been the trend for them. Uh, so I think the way Penguins fans, at least from what I've seen on Twitter, are looking at it is kind of like, don't worry, we'll come back. We're a second half uh, team. So... So really, that's that's how I think Penguins are looking at it. And before you guys get into the Islanders, I'm going to give my weekly Rangers recap in a quick minute. 
fastest 60 fastest 60 <laughs> seconds in in Friday in Night fight. Lights. Um, the Rangers currently set eight seven and two, sixth place in the Metro, but just one place behind the Penguins. So definitely some potential to jump them right now. Um, they start the week with a six on Sunday, six five shootout loss to the Florida Panthers. Tough one, but they got a point. Then followed that with a, a big three two win Tuesday against the Pittsburgh Penguins. And just to top it all off, last <laughs> night, an amazing 9-3 blowout loss to the Tampa Bay Lightning just to cap off a great week. Another week for the Rangers. So, hey, the rebuild's in full swing. Uh, I, yeah, just to, you know, cap it all off. But, yeah, tough one for them. That that was kind of a ridiculous score. I couldn't believe just I think it was 8 nothing after two periods. Yeah. I'm like, are you yeah, kidding me? It, I, I don't even know what to say about that goaltending. I didn't watch it because I was watching the Knicks in football. I didn't watch so, it either. So I can't really talk to, yeah, attest to how the goalies played, but I can't imagine that none of the goals were on them. Now, Georgiev came in after Lundqvist gave up four goals, and on the first eight shots Georgiev faced, he let up four goals. Yeah. So the Rangers did not look good last night. Yeah, no, not at all. So let's move on to the Islanders, who have looked pretty good over um, the past month and a couple days, I'd say. Islanders are on a 13-game point streak coming off that big win against John Tavares and the Maple Leafs uh, this past Wednesday. I mean, let's talk about them. Who do you think their players or players that have been making the biggest impact are on this team? There's three players that I think are the reason for their success. Simeon Varlamov, who has been 6-0-1 during this 13-game point streak. Thomas Grice, who's been 6-0 and in his last six starts, which is just amazing. And the Islanders' future, Matt Barzell. He has had a point per game this season, and there's no slowing him down. Every time he's getting hit, he's coming back up, producing points, and I think the Islanders really need him in order to succeed. Yeah, I mean, you you hit on all the right points there. For sure, the goaltending, I think, has been the biggest thing for them. Look, the way these guys are playing is insane. The fact that they can still keep up with what basically was achieved by Mitch Corrin's coaching last year when it came down to Leonard and Grice. I mean, right now, Grice sits with a 942 save percentage and a 1.88 Goals against average, that's top in the league for both of those categories. And Varlamov uh, is uh, pretty far behind, but still in the top 15 uh, goalies in the league in both of those categories. He's actually 13th in save percentage. And Varlamov's been playing great, too. I really think it was just the end of that (laughs) Maple Leafs game that kind of screwed him for being higher up in those. But, I mean, goaltending's been huge for this team in the stretch. And again, the Islanders... Last year, they won the Jennings Trophy with Leonard and Grice. And this year, they have let up only 39 goals, which the next team has let up 47. So they're on pace of winning that again. And if the Islanders keep getting this goaltending, they're going to make a deep run in the playoffs. Yeah, goaltending's been key for them. We could see another Jennings Trophy, uh, and you hope that it continues uh, along with the defense, which has obviously been key too. As Trot said today, actually, he said, we don't care if they spend time in our zone. As long as we're keeping them to the outside, they're not going to get anything on us. Uh, that's kind of the philosophy of my team too. But, you know, that's that's what you want to do in hockey. You want to keep them to the outside. If those shots are coming from the outside, uh, it's on the goalie to save, and the goalies have been doing that. So good job by the defense and the goalies. Of course, you mentioned Barzell too. If we have more time, we talk more about them. But this is really all the time we have. 
And before we go, I'm just going to give a nice little fun fact before we leave or report from today. ESPN is apparently airing 15 games from Sierra Canyon, the high school basketball team that includes LeBron James Jr. and Zaire Wade. So definitely wow. something to keep an eye on. 15 games. Imagine your high school team getting 15 nationally televised games. But that's what happens. That's the LeBron and Wade that, effect. Yeah, so I'm I'm gonna be I'm gonna tune in. I'm gonna watch those games because that's entertainment right there. Fifteen games. That's crazy. A high school team getting fifteen games. But you know, yeah, that that's the Bron and Wade effect right there. Um, so that wraps up Friday Night Lights here on WKWZ. Uh, thank you guys all for listening. Uh, and right now, here is Michael Jackson with Smooth Criminal. Oh.